Our scripture reading this morning comes from Joshua, the third chapter, verses 7 through 17, and it can be found on page 215 in your hymnal. Joshua 3, 7 through 17. Hear now the word of our Lord. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Higites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. This is the word of the Lord. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. It's going to drive me crazy. I'm learning that uh, coming up with something um, to say each week uh, is harder than I thought it was going to be. When I was a youth pastor, I'm still a youth pastor, but when I was just a youth pastor, I got to preach maybe three or four times a year, and um, I got to uh, really... I don't know, marinate in the sermon I was going to preach. I got to spend three or four months just, you know, just uh, reading the scripture, re-reading the scripture, uh, collecting my, my best stories, all of that stuff. And then, um, then the week before, I got to leisurely just sort of uh, practice it, put it together, make finishing touches. And then uh, once I delivered the sermon, um, uh, little old ladies would pinch me on the cheek and say, that was so great. And then I'd have, the, I'd have the week just to sort of bask in the glow of it. And now uh, I've got a week to come up with the new one. And then, uh, then uh, Monday morning I wake up and think, what am I going to tell them this week? <laughs> and, uh, and it's just a different experience. I'm not complaining. It's one of the joys of my life that I get to do this, but it's very different. 
And you would think the hard passages would be the ones where you look at them and you can't think of anything to say. Those are the easy ones. Because if around Wednesday you come up with something, anything, you go with it. Because it's either that or tell them nothing, right? And so, uh, um, which maybe some of you would prefer, but... uh, (laughs) But you just pick that one thing and you go with it. The hard ones are the ones where uh, you don't have Riger's block, you have Riger's flood. And it's just all of these uh, images, all of these stories, all of these things you could talk about. Some, uh, some passages are just an embarrassment of riches. And um, this is one of those passages. It reminds me of when uh, my, kid, when my uh, parents would give me $10 and take me to the toy store. And I would just stand in that toy aisle and just stare at uh, all the toys for what seemed like an hour with my $10, paralyzed by indecision. This week has felt a little like being at the toy store. Just all these different sermons spread out on the aisle and, and, and me uh, with my crumpled up uh, 25 minutes <laughs> trying to figure out what I was going to do, what I was going to, what I was going to get. Um, because when we look at this passage, there's just so much there. If you look at it symbolically, leaving the wilderness of sin, right? With Jesus, our Joshua, passing through, uh, through the river into the promised land with the new covenant, right? Like that, there's a sermon right there. And get this, the waters, when, when, when he steps through, the waters go back as far as is a town called Agam. A town called Agam, are you kidding me? Right? There, there's something right there. Or we could talk about the Ark of the Covenant. The things that were in the Ark of the Covenant, the jar of manna, uh, the stone tablets, um, Aaron's, uh, Aaron's staff uh, that, that, that bloomed. And we could talk about what those things mean, what they represent. And then we could uh, sort of work them into uh, in communion, right? Um, what, does, what, what do we learn about our covenant with, with God in communion? There's just so much there. And I spent the better part of this week just staring at the shelf, not sure where to go, what to do. But whenever I'm, I'm sort of stuck, I think about a story, Think about a story about this, uh, this monk who um, was famous for uh, always uh, praying and then um, speaking in questions. And then people would take these questions and they would go meditate on these questions. Like, uh, uh, where is God in tragedy, right? And so, uh, so the person would take this question, go pray on it and meditate on it. Well, there's a story about a pastor that goes to visit this monk. And, uh, and the pastor uh, uh, is, is eager to receive his question to pray on and meditate on. And the monk is just sort of, uh, sort of sitting there basking in, in, in Jesus and then, um, and then uh, offers the question, what do they need? Now, this preacher was kind of burnt out and, um, and he really hadn't come there to think about his uh, call as a preacher. He had more come there as an individual just kind of wanting to reconnect with God. And so he said, uh, he said back to the monk, that's a great question, what do they need? Um, but I was really here more, not about my, my vocation, but just my personal spiritual life. Could you give me a different question? And so the monk just sort of basked in the glow of Jesus for a second and then gives him another question. 
What do they really need? What do they really need? So that's the question I always just try and like keep before me, right? When I'm, I'm trying to come up with a sermon. What do they need? What do the people sitting in the pews need to hear? What is God's word for us as Sydney United Methodist Church in this passage? And I think around Friday I found it. And, uh, and here's what I believe we need to hear from the passage. See, this is a passage about transformation. It's about going from one side of the Jordan to the other. And on one side of the Jordan, uh, they were Hebrews. But when they crossed over, they were Israelites. On one side of the Jordan, they were wanderers. But when they crossed over, they were warriors. They went from being the Moses generation, and then they crossed the Jordan, and they were the Joshua generation. They went from being the people of the wilderness, and they crossed over the Jordan, and they were the people of the promise. See, it's a story about transformation. And when we look out at the world today, we see a world in desperate need of transformation. And as United Methodists, our call, our purpose is to make disciples for the transformation of the world. To make disciples for the transformation of the world. There is a world in need of transformation. They are standing at the banks of the Jordan. They are still in the wilderness and they need to cross over. They need to go from, from sin, from being sinners. And on the other side of the Jordan, they can be saints. They need to go from, from brokenness. And on, a, on the other side of the Jordan, there is wholeness. They need to go from a life serving the world to a life serving the kingdom. A life that ends in death to a life that ends in life everlasting, a life of despair transformed into a life of hope. See, we have a world in need of transformation, a world of people that need to get from one side to the other, and they don't know how. All they've got to do is cross. And so Joshua says to the priests, Go stand in the river. Go carry the ark. And as soon as you stand in the river, those waters will pile up. Those waters will pile up and the people can pass through. Go stand in the river. And I believe that is the word we need to hear this morning. That is the church is the priesthood of all believers. We are the ones who are called to go stand in the river. We are the ones that are called to go stand in the river so that others can pass through. And see, when we're standing in the river, we are no longer in the wilderness. We are no longer in the wilderness and we no longer have those wilderness ways. We are distinct. We're holy. We're set apart. We live differently. We think differently now that we are no longer in the wilderness and we're standing in the river. Romans 12, 2 says, 
Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve what God's will is, His good, perfect, and pleasing will. We are no longer going by that pattern. We are no longer going by that playbook. If we are standing in the river, our hearts and minds march to the tune, to the beat of a different drum. I got halfway through that metaphor and didn't know where I was going. But we're standing in the river. We're standing in the river. In Philippians, Paul, I hope I didn't lose it. In Philippians, Paul uh, is, is talking uh, to the church in Philippi, and he tells them, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we are no longer wilderness people. Our citizenship is no longer on earth. It is in heaven. Tuesday, go out and vote. Do it. I promise I will never tell you who to vote for, right? That is just not my job because my citizenship is in heaven. I'm going to vote. I care what happens in the wilderness, but my citizenship is in heaven. I serve a Lord that is higher than whoever we vote into office. Uh, Tony Campolo used to say that mixing religion and politics is like mixing manure and ice cream. He said, it might not hurt the manure, but it sure ruins the ice cream. And I think when we mix that worldly stuff into what we do here as a church, we're ruining the ice cream. But, We're not in the promised land yet. If we're standing in the river, we are not in the promised land yet. We need to be in the middle of the action. We need to be where people need us. We don't get to go and and enjoy our milk and our honey just yet. Because we're standing in the river where people need us. We're helping people over to the other side. We need to be in the middle of the action. When we're standing in the river, the burden is heavy. Think about those four priests for just a second who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark is made of acacia wood. The the Bible gives the dimensions. It's plagued with gold. It's got got, um, the, the stone tablets inside and other relics. Some biblical scholars have, have put all that together and crunched the numbers and decided it probably weighed about 288 pounds. So you're thinking uh, four, um, four priests, they're probably bearing the weight of about 70 pounds apiece. Standing in the river under the weight of that burden as an entire nation passed through. How long did that take? 
How long were they standing there bearing that weight? Yet that is what they were called to do, and that is what we are called to do. Standing in the river is a burden. You know, we like to just go off and, and enjoy our milk and honey. Like, uh, like the, the veggie tale song. In the promised land, it will be so grand. We'll have our fill from the grill as much as we can stand. Right? We'd like to just go, go and enjoy. Just, just, just be with our Jesus. Right? And not have to stand in the river. Because the church, this is where we're called to be. We're called to carry the burden of our community so that they can pass through. It's where we're called to be. And when we, when we let ourselves fall for this, uh, this, this, this individualized Christianity that is just about me and my Jesus. And by the way, the American church, we're the only ones that talk like this. It's just about me and my Jesus. I've said it before. All that matters is your personal relationship with your personal Lord and Savior. I've said it before, but you know what? Personal Lord and Savior is a phrase that occurs nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about your personal Lord and Savior. Our Lord and Savior is all over the place. Our Lord and Savior is what the whole New Testament's about. But personal Lord and Savior, just me and my Jesus, like the song I sang when, when, when I was a kid, if I had a little white box to keep my Jesus in, I'd take him out and share him with a friend, right? That's not, that's not what living in the river is. Just having this holy huddle where we just, uh, where we just meet in the basement and pray for Jesus to come back, right? That theology that says to heaven with me, to hell with you. That is not where we are called to be. We're called to stand in the river, right between the world and the promised land, helping people over to the other side. That is where we are called to be this morning. Ever heard the legend of uh, St. Christopher? It's an old Catholic legend about how Christopher became a saint. See, he was this big, strong man, um, really tall, and uh, uh, loud and not so bright. But he decided that he wanted to go off in search of a king to serve. And uh, he went off in search of a king to serve, and uh, he was in the middle of the forest, and he found uh, this hermit in the middle of the forest. And the hermit told him all about King Jesus. And, uh, and, and St. Christopher thought, King Jesus, this is a king worth serving. I will serve him. So he asked the hermit, how can I serve King Jesus? And the hermit says, why don't you become a hermit like me? Well, Christopher tries that, but he's not a very good hermit. He, he, he's loud and loves to talk to people. So this business of solitude and praying just doesn't fit him really well. And he's not that bright, not good at reading. And so just reading scripture all day just doesn't work for him really well. So finally he decides, I've got to find another way to serve King Jesus. And he's, uh, as he's walking away from the hermitage, he's going through the forest and he comes to a river. And when he gets to the river, he realizes, hey, people need to cross this river. I'm big, I'm tall, I'm strong, I'm friendly. I could help people across this river whenever they need to cross this river. 
And, and as I helped them across this river, I could tell them about King Jesus. And so he decides that's how he's going to serve his king. Well, the legend goes one night in the middle of the night, there's a child that's lost and trying to find its way home. And the child wanders through the forest into the river and meets St. Christopher there at the river. And uh, St. Christopher lifts the child up and uh, to, to St. Christopher, the child's like a feather, like a pillow. And he's, he just puts the child on his shoulders and starts trudging through the river. And uh, as he's trudging through the river, the child gets heavier and heavier. He thinks, man, what's this kid eating, right? And, uh, and it gets heavier and heavier. And finally, the burden is just more than he can stand. And he's not even sure if he's going to make it to the other side. But he just stumbles and stumbles. And, and finally, he gets to the shore. And when he puts the child down, it's no longer a child. It's a man. And it's a man with a beard. And it's a man with a beard and a crown on his head. And it's a man with a beard and a crown on his head and nail-pierced hands. And he realizes he's in the presence of King Jesus. And King Jesus says, thank you for serving me, Christopher. You see, back there at the hermitage, that's not where it's at. Back there, you know, in, 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 in the little prayer corner, um, just, uh, just me and my Jesus. That's not where it's at. We go to our prayer closet so we can get filled up with love, so we can go back and stand in the river and help people across. That's our job. That's what it's about. United Methodist, we exist to make disciples for the transformation of the world. We exist to help people get from one side of the Jordan to the other. And guess what? Standing in the river is a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place to be. See, this miracle that we're talking about this morning actually does have kind of a natural explanation. Um, the, the place, this town called Adam, um, is where the, uh, the Jabbok River enters the River Jordan. And this is uh, where um, Jor the Jorgen goes from being a stream to a river when the Jabbok enters. And sometimes the Jabbok River enters with such force that it causes landslides. And sometimes these landslides happen around the town of Adam and they temporarily dam up the river. And when they temporarily dam up the river, the water builds and builds and piles into a heap until finally it bursts through. There was a, in 1927, there was a recorded instance of this, and the Jordan River was dry for about 20 hours until the dam finally broke. Now, I'm not trying to talk you out of thinking of this as a miracle, because it, it still has to happen the second uh, that they, they, they set foot in the river, and, and, and the river still has to resume the second they step foot out, right? It's still a miracle, but what I'm telling you is this. It's a dangerous place to be. See, at any second, that dam could break and the floodwaters would come surging down, right? It's a dangerous place to be between, between the world and the promised land. Standing in the river, that's where we're most vulnerable. That's where we're most exposed. It's a dangerous place to be. I think of, uh, of Harriet Tubman. 
Harriet Tubman uh, uh, escaped slavery. She woke up one morning and she decided she wasn't going back. She took a risk. And, and, and she said, I, I, I'm going to go up north where I'll be free. And, uh, and, and she sang in the morning, I'll meet you in the morning. I'm bound for the promised land. And then she left. And Harriet Tubman could have stayed there. She could have been safe. Right? She could have enjoyed her freedom. Had her milk and honey. But she decided to go back. Thirteen times Harriet Tubman went back south, freed over 70 slaves through the Underground Railroad. And she did this because of her Christian conviction. She wrote later, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. I always told him, I trust you, I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you to lead me. And he always did. I decided I would fight for liberty so long as my strength lasted, and if the time came for me to go, the Lord would let them take me. See, Harriet Tubman was standing in the river for her people. And we are called to do the same. We have a better example than Harriet Tubman of someone who stands in the river. Jesus stood in the river for us. Jesus stood in the river. Think of it. He is, he is fully God and fully human. Right? He's got one foot in the promised land, one foot in the wilderness. He's standing in the river for you and me. And that's how he lived his life. When, uh, when he met the Samaritan woman at the well and asked her for a drink. And the Samaritan woman said, why would you ask me for a drink? He stood in the river for her. When he saw a tax collector named Levi... And he thought, I could use someone like that on my team. Someone who's good with numbers. Someone who's literate. Maybe he'll write a gospel someday. Who knows, right? And Jesus stood in the river for Matthew, even though he had the, the stink of the government on him. He stood in the river for him. When they brought to him a woman who had been caught in adultery, and the Pharisees were, were in a circle ready to stone her. And they said, the Bible gives us the right to stone this woman. What do you say? The easy thing to do would, would, would be for Jesus to say, well, let's follow the Bible. Right? But Jesus stood in the river for the woman who had committed adultery. Jesus stood in the river for a Pharisee named Nicodemus who shows up in the middle of the night because he doesn't want any of his Pharisee buddies to see him because he wants to talk to Jesus about the kingdom. Jesus could have turned him away, said, I've heard what you and your friends have been saying about me. Y'all turn your nose up at me in, in, in the day and now you come here at midnight and want to talk to me? But Jesus stood in the river for Nicodemus he stood in the river for the blind. He stood in the river for the lame. He stood in the river for the demon-possessed. And when he was dying on the cross, when, when he had every right to just make it about him, he stood in the river for, for a thief that wanted to know if he could make it to paradise. Jesus stands in the river today for humanity holding back the flood of sin and death so that you and I 
can pass through. And he calls us to go stand in the river. To make disciples for the transformation of the world. So we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. We can be wilderness wanderers. We can just uh, be just like everybody else. Conform to the same old pattern. Or we can sit comfortable in the promised land. Just me and my Jesus. Just sit in the basement reading the Bible waiting for Jesus to come back. Or we can stand in the river where it's dangerous, where the burden is heavy, where we're exposed, but where we're called to be. First John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. One last story. A story about a priest who's walking along the river. The priest is walking along the river and he sees there in the middle of the river there's a rock and there's a scorpion on the rock. He looks at that scorpion and he realizes the river's about to rise and that scorpion's going to be swept away. And so the priest decides he's going to save the scorpion. And so uh, he uh, hitches up his little priest skirt cassock thing and he gets in the river And uh, he goes over to the rock, he picks up the scorpion, and then the scorpion starts to sting him. (laughs) And uh, he wants to drop the scorpion, but uh, he also wants to save the scorpion. And so he just holds on to the scorpion, and all the time the scorpion is stinging him, and all the time he won't let him go. And he's uh, wading back out to the shore. Well, there's a bystander watching all of this, and he's laughing. And he calls out to the priest, Father, Father, don't you know that it's the scorpion's nature to sting? And the priest looks at the man on the shore and says, Yes, but it's my nature to save. It's my nature to save. It might sting a little bit. It might be dangerous. It might be heavy. But church, it is our nature to save. It's who we are. It's who we are called to be. So I've asked uh, Brooke to sing us a song of meditation. And while she's singing a song that I love, um, that I think is really hip and cool, and she says her dad likes it too, um, while she's singing that song, I want you to think, who are you called to stand in the river for this morning? Who is Sydney United Methodist Church called to stand in the river for? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.
strong.